Good to see you all. Thank you for making church a part of your life and, and uh, being here on Sunday. I do pray that uh, the Lord will connect with each one of us uh, in, and you. Uh, I want to talk uh, how God brings us joy uh, when God changes us. Uh, there's a amount of joy that comes to us that is sort of surprising. And uh, I, I want to just, as an uh, opener, talk about uh, the life of St. Augustine uh, of Hippo. Uh, he was a giant in the Christian faith. Uh, he lived uh, like 354 uh, you know, AD, so regarded as one of the church fathers. And uh, he's just had uh, like a disproportionately huge influence on Christian, so Christian society. Uh, not only in his thinking, but uh, also on, uh, you know, when you think about his, uh, his story, which I want to share with you a little bit. Some of you may be familiar with, uh, with him, and some of you might not be. But uh, his dad was a Roman citizen, and his mom was from Algeria, and he was born in Algeria, North Africa, and he was one of these kids that was super smart, uh, right from the get-go. And everybody could recognize the fact that this guy was just like really uh, smart. But he was also like really naughty at the same time. And uh, so, you know, sometimes that can be a, a bad combination because like he was super smart and he was super naughty. It's like super problematic. But at the age of 11, uh, you know, he's hanging out with his buddies and uh, he, they start stealing fruit. Uh, now, the thing is, they weren't hungry, but they just started stealing fruit. And again, so uh, having the brilliant mind that he has, that even as an 11-year-old, he says, there's something intriguing about this. I actually don't need the fruit, but I just love the process of stealing it. There's just something like it really feels fun and adventurous and enjoyable. And then he's thinking about it, he says, but I shouldn't be, it shouldn't be enjoyable doing something I know is wrong. And so, you know, later on, uh, as he becomes a Christian, because he certainly was no Christian at this point, but later on, he used that experience to really articulate original sin and uh, how, how what Adam and Eve did and their rejection of God and how their sin has sort of come all the way down uh, to us. And Augustine was able to put this doctrine together and, and articulate it really well and say, this captures it. He says, you know, I, I'm enjoying this idea of being stealing this fruit. Anyway, that was the least of his problems. Uh, as he uh, got a little older and uh, got a little smarter, he, he, parents uh, sent him off to uh, study and, and uh, develop more and be involved with uh, more intellectual folks. And so he moves out of home, out of his little village, goes to the big city of Carthage, and uh, there he meets uh, a whole bunch of other uh, academics, and, and now he's 17 years old. And at 17, uh, he realizes that all the boys, uh, even way back then, are really, really, really interested in sex. I mean, like, they just want to talk about sex, and, and, uh, and if you want to be in, like, the in-club as a guy, you've got to, like, talk about all your sexual experiences. Now, they're actually there for academic studies and pursuit. I mean, that's the main reason. They're studying Latin. It's all very intellectual. But uh, under the surface, 
all the drive and all the like clubs and who's who, it's all sexual. I mean, like, things haven't changed a whole lot. You know, this is like 350, you know, 5 AD. Uh, here we are, and it's, okay, so how does, you know, Augustine pursue this? Well, if you want to be in, this, in, in the in club, you either had to tell about all your sexual experiences or you had to have them or you had to make them up or, or, or whatever. So this carries on, and uh, Augustine, uh, his mother is a praying Christian. She's like in dismay uh, for her son. And Augustine, uh, he just thinks like, you know, pursuing both academics and sexual pursuits is great. So he has mistress, and then, well, as we all know, uh, end up having kids. Now, that wasn't so much fun because he didn't really want to have kids. And now, of course, he's responsible for the kid and he still wants to be involved with other girls. But now he's going to worry about this girl. And now life is complicated and now it's not so much fun anymore. And, but he's still pursuing his academic pursuits. And because he's so smart, he starts studying all the other religions of the day. And uh, he starts thinking, well, OK, Christianity, I don't want that one. Uh, because it just seems like boring and limiting, and like they, especially regarding sexual things, uh, it's like constricting. But at the same time, he pursues these other religions, and they become like empty because he's got a brilliant mind, and so he starts flirting with uh, Christianity. Like he likes a lot about Christianity. There's like so many things which are really appealing to him, uh, but there's some things which just like aren't like a sexual thing it's like just you rob all the fun and all the joy and so you know he coined this uh, this prayer which has become so famous for many because it so articulates how many have prayed he says lord you know just grant me chastity in other words take away all my sexual desires take away all my promiscuity but not just yet I mean, you could, he has a man that's just thinking and is articulating where he's at. Like, yeah, I could see the benefit of Christianity, but I, I, no, I don't want the bad side. I don't want the, you know, the boring, the mundane, the sad side. I, I just, but God is so good. And then uh, he moves on. He goes to, to Italy, he goes to Milan, and he's, uh, he, he's studying there. He's academic pursuit. Now he's teaching. And the Holy Spirit does something that, the Spirit still does. Uh, he still works like, that, like this today. Uh, he's just having a good old time. He's hanging out in a courtyard, and God chooses to speak to him in this way. Uh, while he's hanging out in a courtyard, over the wall, he hears this little kid singing and saying, saying this uh, rhyme. And she's just saying it again and again and again. Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. And I don't know. Maybe it was a song. Maybe it was something. I don't know what it was. But uh, Augustine's like, Wow. He looks around, he says, pick up and read. And he literally says, okay, what should I pick up and read? And, and there it is, uh, is, is a Bible and specifically Romans. So he just like picks up and starts reading. But uh, when God's got your number, uh, you know, things that seem very just random become unbelievably instrumental. I mean, like life-changing so he has this brilliant man. He's been thinking about God and trying to understand God. And then he has what would seem to be a very irrational or uh, by chance or circumstance uh, encounter with reading the Bible. And uh, he picks up Romans and he reads Romans 
13, uh, verses 13 and 14, and it says this. It says, let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now that hit him like a cannonball. It's like, wait a bit. This is speaking about my whole life. This is speaking about who I am. It's like, and yeah, he's flirting with God. He wants God. And yeah, he says, give it all up. So when he like accepted Christ, which was right at that moment, he like says, okay, Jesus, you've got to be real. I mean, you speaking my language. You know exactly what I'm thinking and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And you tell me to give it up. And so he does. And he, 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 he totally gives it up. I mean, he just has this, you know, total transformation. Now, Augustine has been like instrumental on a whole bunch of church doctrines and writings and, and things. And just to like list some of them would be a whole big exercise in and of itself because he was just such a giant uh, thinker. But uh, one of them uh, was this whole doctrine of uh, Pelagianism, which was a British teacher who was talking about this idea of how do you get to God? And, the, and the, it's still around today. This is still a common thread. And the idea is this, that you need to clean up your act first. And uh, as you clean up your act, then, uh, you know, God will appreciate that and, and it'll go well with you. And, uh, and Augustine was like, wait, I understand this doctrine really, 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 really well. I couldn't clean up my act. I tried to clean up my act. I had no desire to clean up my act. But God found me. And so he was heavy on this idea of predestination, that God knows you, he, he'll find you, and uh, God will save you. So, you know, he wrote a whole, and that's still a big discussion today, free will and predestination and it's still a huge topic today as we try and figure that out. So he was pressing in on all these uh, really great, uh, great doctrines. But what did happen for him is he had this sort of bizarre experience. He says, look, I've spent my whole uh, 35 years uh, living free and carefree and, and the, the way I want to live, but my life is broken. It's empty and I'm like really not fulfilled. And now I'm pursuing God, and uh, I'm finding the most bizarre thing. He says, my life has now become really exciting and really meaningful and really fulfilling. And in fact, he had such a, 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 a shift in his um, sexual uh, thinking that like now when you read his doctrine on sex, you're like, nah, Augustine, I think you got a little wrong. I mean, he's like completely against sex. I mean, he's like, you know, went from one extreme to the other. It's like somebody that smokes, you know, it's like they, you can't stop them smoking. They tell you how great smoking is. Finally, they quit smoking. And then, man, they're like, don't go anywhere near somebody that smokes or, or an alcoholic, the same thing. It's just like, you know, don't even, they, they, and that's how, that's how Augustine was. He wanted to just become you know, just completely celibate and, and, uh, and anyway. So here is a story of somebody that sort of was surprised by God's joy as he pursued Christ. 
And the, the, the exciting thing for you and for me is that it's not up to us. Uh, it's up to us experiencing God in some sort of uh, meaningful uh, and full kind of a way. And when we do experience God, uh, it's really uh, that change when the Spirit of God works in us. That change, if we will allow God uh, to change us, brings us tremendous amount of joy. And it's something that we experience. You can talk about it. I can share about Augustine. I can share about my own experience. Uh, you can see it in somebody else that you know that's changed or converted to Christianity. Or you could see it in, you know, in others. But you personally and I personally have to experience that transformation that only God can do. And it is different for each one of us. Uh, I don't know how you ended up falling in love with Christ or what your story was or whether you're still pursuing God or whether you, like Augustine, you're sort of one foot in the camp and, and one foot out of the camp and you know, you've got it intellectualizing it all in your head like you know what's best and you're going to sort out your own life or whether you're in the camp of saying, I've tried all that, I've given it all up, I'm just like 100% for God and I'm in that camp or, or you know, which camp you're in, I, I don't know. But I do know this. Uh, we all need to have an encounter with the love of God. We have to experience God's love, not just hear about it personally. And the ridiculous thing is God loves to surprise us with that. He loves to reveal His love to us and surprise us in that. So uh, uh, let me just uh, say the point of what I'm trying to say here is that we need to allow God to transform us. Uh, we need to allow God to love us so that we can experience His joy. And a lot of it is just giving up our problems, our frustrations, our desires, our struggles to Christ, and then listening and seeing and watching what He will do with our either our mess-ups or our good intentions or our you know, ridiculous great intellect. But if we'll give it to Christ... The joy that we receive is, uh, is out of proportion to what we would expect. Our human mindset is God is mean. God will limit us. Uh, God will give us a boring life. Uh, if I follow all the, the rules and regulations of church and God will just like suck the life out of me, I'm going to... And God's... When we encounter the, the living God, it's so... The exact opposite. God is so extravagant. He's so loving. He's so you know, personal, that it blows us away. And we need to have a fresh encounter with Christ on a regular basis. It's not just like a one time for salvation. It's an ongoing sense where we need to connect with God. We need a fresh connection of God's love for our circumstances today. Now, we need, we need Christ's involvement. We need the joy that only Christ can give us, despite our circumstances. So uh, the two... We're going through the book of Philippians, and I've titled, I've summarized the whole book by saying, be joyful. Because the book, if you, if you summarize the whole book, I would say it's an apt title, be joyful. Uh, there's sort of a sense where the circumstances of the Apostle Paul's life and what he's experiencing, experiencing in joy uh, don't seem to match up. And so there's a lot for us to learn and to glean from this 
and to experience from God, like how do we experience this joy uh, despite everything that's happening in our lives? That, that's the reason why this book is just so popular. Uh, but the, the verses that I want to uh, focus on today is Philippians uh, 2.12 uh, through 14 and then Philippians 4.8. Let me just read them to you. It says this, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying, uh, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. And then in Philippians 4, 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The first thing I want to emphasize as we try and experience this in our own lives, as we try and experience uh, the joy of Christ, is that we should expect our lives to change. So if you're filling in the blanks in the bulletin insert, expect your life to change. There's a sense where it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in now, you should expect that your life will change and for the better. Like, the more Jesus, the more joy. I mean, that should sort of be our mindset. Lord, change me. I want more joy. I want more of you, Jesus. And the only way I'm going to get the joy is through you, Jesus. Uh, it's not like, okay, I can figure out how to be joyful. I'll do it all on my own. You know, I'll eat, drink, sleep around, and that'll just bring me this huge amount of joy. It's like, no, it won't. And if we lay it down uh, and we say, God, I expect you to change me, but I want you to change me according to your word, your ways. Uh, the, the, the starting point is we should expect that God is going to change our situation and our lives. We need to expect it. We should not resist it. We should be expecting it. We should be anticipating it. We should be welcoming it but, and looking for it. We should expect that God would change our lives for the better. Another good scripture to meditate on is Ephesians 2.10. Let me just uh, read this to you and uh, ask yourself, how are you doing with this verse? It says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the, th the good things He has planned for us long ago. You know, if we put these verses together, there's a sense that God knows you. He planned your life. He's got good things for you. And our joy and our delight is to figure that out and to pursue God and to follow Him. But He has a plan for you. Uh, and it's a plan where He would like you to be productive in His kingdom. And as you do that, uh, you will receive a tremendous amount of, of joy. God looks at you as a masterpiece. He doesn't look at you as a failure. He doesn't look at you as half-baked or, you know, with anxiety problems or intellectual problems or physical limitations. He looks at you as a masterpiece. We look at ourselves and it's like, eh, not so much. Uh, you know, we can be very critical of ourselves. But God is saying, I know I made you. 
and I've made you into a masterpiece. And, you know, in one sense, when we're criticizing ourselves, we're kind of criticizing God. We're saying, God, you're like, you made a mistake. I mean, everybody else you got it right, but, you know, with me, you know, not so much. And God is saying, no, no, I, I love you. I actually love you the way you are. I made you. And uh, that's a hard one for us to uh, get, get, our, get our heads around. But we need to expect change. Uh, you, you know, many of you came to faith in Christ uh, after you were, you know, a teenager or while you were a teenager. You had a, a time in your life where you can remember before and a time in your life and you, you can remember afterwards. Uh, you know what it's like when your life changed, uh, you, you know, from the desires you used to have to the desires you have now. That, that's an easy concept for you to grasp. Uh, but I want you to just think about that. Where was that? Who was involved in that? Uh, what was it that changed in your life? Are you better off now? Do you have a sense of joy that you didn't have before? Uh, is your life better as a follower of Jesus or not? Because honestly, I, I, have, I have not met a lot of people, I don't think I met any people, that have said, you know, when I was following Jesus, my life was miserable. Now that I've given Jesus the boot and I'm doing it all my own way with my own strength, my life is just awesome. It's just like so fantastic. I'm so glad that I'm done with Jesus and done with church. I, I just like, that, that's just, I don't hear that. Never heard it. I've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of the other way around. It's like, I did it all my way. But now that I've been following Jesus, like, it, it's so much better. Now, is it a struggle? You bet it's a struggle because we're pulling with our will and we're pulling with what God's desire for us. And, it, you know, St. Augustine he expressed that so well. It's like, yeah, there's a tension. And every time we can yield to God's will, we experience joy. Every time we yield to our own sinful desire, our nature, we end up like not so much. Uh, it's not that great. The second... Uh, point that I want to make here is God's role in change. God's role in change. In uh, Philippians 2.13, the verse I, I read, it says this, for God is working in you. It's not you are working in you. It's God is working in you. It's not you are going to clean up your acts and then you're going to present your life as a you know, wonderful thing of sainthood and holiness to God. And he's going to just say, wow, well, well, that's just incredible. You're just a wonderful person. It's God is working in you. And now here's the wonderful and mysterious and awesome part that many of us can relate to in this verse. Giving you the desire, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, any of us that's walked with Christ for any amount of time is going to have seen how this mysterious thing happened in our life. How God can change, change our desires and line it up with His desires. And not only does He change it, He gives us the power to do that. This is not willpower that like we muster up on our own. It's internal. It's from within. God just changes it. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, not so much on the pornography. Okay, not so much for getting drunk. All of a sudden, you know, and for some people, it's like instantaneous. Like there's just a hatred towards, you know, 
alcohol or smoking or you know sexual promiscuity it's like they just like get you know it's like no it's like i don't want to be tainted by that i don't want to be around that i just want to switch it off it's like i want to run away for other people it's like augustine you're like you're playing with both and you know finally get burnt and you know the pain of the one is so and for some of you you've experienced this it's been a gradual process but what i am saying is when people have come around and experienced the freedom of christ it in the essence they would say it wasn't me it was somehow other it was god within me he changed me and so there's something which is helpful here if we understand that we need a change and we need a desire change and we understand that it's god that's going to change us then it helps us in our prayer language and in our in our lifestyle we say god I want to be in line with what you want me to do. Help me to be that way. Give me your desires. And then when God gives you that desire, you, you, you like press into that. You like take it on. Uh, you don't resist it. Uh, you expecting God's power to change you. Uh, you know, we don't have to look too far in uh, the pages of the Bible to see dramatic uh, examples of this. One would be the Apostle Paul. Uh, like St. Augustine, you know, here's somebody who's just an intellectual giant, uh, pedigree upbringing, uh, you know, but he has to have an encounter with the living God, with Jesus. And his desires change from wanting to persecute the church to wanting to plant churches and, and develop the church. I mean, you know, a complete transformation. Uh, but not, a, you know, some of you guys are intellectual giants. Uh, most people aren't, because if most people were intellectual giants, they would be average. So most people, you know, are average. So uh, for average people like you and me, uh, and for some of us that have to be less than average, because unless you have people that are less than average, you can't have like the superstars. So you know, if your kid's coming last in class, give him a pat, because if he didn't come last, somebody couldn't come first. You know, just <laughs> get that. But for the average person, we still need to. Uh, experience God's power and the fact that God will change us and that it's God's role to change us and that He gives us the desire and the ability to do it. It's, we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to be intellectually like super smart. Uh, and therefore, people like the Apostle Peter become a hero for m many people. Because when you read what Peter did, the stupid things he did, uh, it's like, yeah, identify that. I would do the same stupid things. That's why everybody loves Peter. It's like, Go Peter, because you're seeing your own life in Peter's life. But what was so great about Peter, he's like, I can't figure this all out. I just like go fishing. You know, you talk about a stupid sport, fishing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave, it's your favorite passion. Oh, forgive me. <laughs> ice fishing, ice fishing. Oh my gosh, okay. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm leaning into spiritual direction, you know, and you can put your little hut up there and you just sit in there and there's nobody can bother you and, and it can be freezing cold and you just sit out in the ice all day long. Man, I, it's got a lot of appeal to me. I don't know about the fishing part, but just sitting out there and being alone with God, I, yeah, that's working for me. But the fishing part, not so much. I mean, especially if you catch one of those things, then you've got to look stinky and you've got to cut it. Oh. Anyway, but anyway, that's, that's, Peter was like into fishing. He just loved fishing. And, you know, Jesus comes along and Jesus shakes his life up. And then when things like get all confusing and 
Peter can't figure out why Jesus isn't responding the way that Jesus should respond. And, and Peter's like, you know, this is what I want for my life. And Jesus, this is the way you should be working in my life. And Jesus, this is what you should be doing. And, and Jesus, I've got us all figured out. And why wouldn't you do it my way, Jesus? And when Peter gets to that point, you know, and Jesus is like rebuking him and telling him to get behind me, Satan, and, 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 and then dying on a cross. And Peter's like, that's the last thing I want my Savior to do. You know, Peter's so confused, so distraught, so upset that his Christianity isn't working out the way he thinks it should work. What does he do? He goes back to fishing because that's like, he's not that smart. He can't think of anything else. He's not reading books on philosophy and writing doctrines like Augustine probably would have. You know, he's just like, let me just get back to fishing. You know, and then Jesus shows up again and reveals himself to Peter. Hey, Peter, you know, come over here. Like, let's eat some fish, you know, and let's talk about my resurrected life and how it impacts you. And uh, the hope is it's not up to us. Uh, you know, when we read Peter's story in the Bible, it's like, thank goodness, Jesus. You know, you're much smarter than me. You've got a plan for my life, just like you did for Peter's. And there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of twists and there's a lot of adventure. When you become a Christian, your life will not be boring. It might be overstimulating. Uh, it might, you might have more to do and to handle than what you like can deal with. But you will not be bored. I guarantee you will not be bored. There is so many things, there's so many people that need you, that you can serve on, people you can help, missions trips you can go on, uh, people right here in church that need to know about Jesus, the kids, the teenagers. They, your, your life will never be bored. Uh, if you say to Jesus, I'm, I'm ready, I'm available, use me today, send me, deliver me, God will take you up on that. He's, he's always looking for somebody that's, uh, that's willing. So God's role in change. But what about the third fill in the blank, if you would, your role in change? Let me just say this. Your role in change is this. Don't complain. That's our role in the change process. It's like when God starts changing you, don't complain. Just, just don't complain. Just like say, God changed me. God changed me. God used me. Just don't complain. Uh, look what it says here in Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. <laughs> I mean, this is like a powerful verse. It's like almost impossible. Well, let me just say it is impossible. Uh, do everything without complaining and arguing. Well, I'm not complaining. I'm just like giving constructive criticism. Rob, if you just do these 20 things differently in the church, and if you just preach a little differently, and if this person wasn't a leader, and if you just do the worship a little differently, just, just constructive criticism. I'm like, yeah, not so much. Not so much. It's called complaining. It's like constructive criticism, like tiny doses. You know, you, you see this in your kids. Uh, when you get frustrated with your kids, you saying, don't do this and don't do that. And, don't. and then grandparents come along and they just like spoil them rotten. And they're giving them stuff. You know, the kids just love the grandparents. Like, yeah, lots of positive reinforcement. The kids, grandparents just love on them. And, and like, you have to be the disciplinarian. It's like, yeah, a little bit of criticism and lots of encouragement. If you wanted to go well with your teenagers, lots of encouragement. I mean, if you're just like nagging them and criticizing them and complaining about everything... Man, the kids get uptight. And, you know, there's a weird, wonderful God thing that happens in teenagers. They're actually designed by God to start drawing away from you. Like, they don't need you that much as parents. 
And you know what, as parents, it's really frustrating because we're like, they're not five-year-olds anymore. When they're five, we can control everything, what they eat and what time they go to bed or try it anyway, at least put them in the bedroom, what toys they play with. When they're teenagers, like, ah, yeah, 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 they make all the other decisions, they don't really listen to you, they listen to all their friends a lot more than they listen to you. And, and God is doing something in that. He's, he's creating a separation and an independence. But our role is not to complain. It's, it's not to complain. If we complain, we're just hindering things. Uh, and part of that is because we need to focus uh, in the kingdom of God and on our own lives. Uh, what's required is that we focus. We focus on what Jesus is doing. Uh, if we can't focus, uh, and we just like got you know, 100 different things that we're trying to do at the same time, we do nothing. Uh, so I for instance, really applaud you for saying, uh, for being here at church today, because you've made a decision. You said, you know what, one day a week, I'm going to focus on Jesus. Now, I don't know how your day started. I, 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 you know, unless you're a saint, you probably didn't wake up and pray for an hour and read your Bible for a few hours and then, you know, break the fast that you've been fasting. You, you probably, like, got out of bed and did everything you could to get you and get your kids here and, and like, here you are. Uh, but I applaud you. you. You're saying, I'm giving this time up. I want to focus on God, and I'm giving today uh, to Jesus to at least focus. Because if you don't, uh, you probably won't. Uh, but because you are here at church, you're at least giving Jesus a shot. At least you're positioning yourself to hear me talk to you and hopefully... You know, my accent will drown out and the Spirit of God's accent will like impress you and, and leave a, a mark on you and hopefully God will do something. But look what it says here. Your role in change is to focus. So don't, con don't complain, but do focus. Don't complain, do focus. And it says this. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I mean, God is giving us such a powerful tool here. He's saying we can control our mind. We can control what we focus on. And he wants us to fix it on these things. And that's a, it's a long list. I mean, we could fix it on just you know, what's honorable. We could fix it on just what's true. Uh, we could fix it on like what's pure. Uh, there's a lot of things we could fix our focus on. But let me just sum it up this way. Jesus embodies all these things. If we can fix our focus, not on ourselves, not on what we need to change, not on what our desires are, but if we can fix our desires on Jesus, because Jesus embodies all these things. Jesus is true. He's honorable, he's right, he's pure, he's lovely, he's admirable. And when we fix our eyes on him, it's easy for us to want to praise him. Uh, the other thing is, what we're basically saying is, God, I've got a lot of problems in my life, but I'm choosing to fix my eyes on you. You have the ability to change my life, to change the circumstances around my life. You have the ability to, to heal me, but I choose to focus on you. Because as we focus on Him, God takes care of the other things. 
The alternative is awful. It's like, God, I'm not going to focus on you because I'm too distracted, I'm too worried, I've got too many other problems, and I'm going to fix all my problems, and I'm going to put all my focus and all my energy and all my intellect and all my money and all my friendship on fixing all my problems. And man, that's, that's exhausting. But if you can say, I can fix my eyes on you, Jesus, and I just let all these problems and these concerns like just settle there. You take care of them. Help me, Lord Jesus, to be pure and to be honorable and to be focused and to be humble. Help me, Jesus. You're in a really good place. So let me just, uh, let me just end there and uh, encourage us as we worship God. Why can't we just say, Lord, I just put aside all my problems, my cares. I choose to worship you and to focus on, on you. Because Jesus, you are honorable. And your Holy Spirit is present. And you do have the power to change me and to change my lives. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for your people today. Whatever concerns and worries that, that people are carrying today. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would carry them for them. And I pray for a personal new encounter with you, Jesus. That they would experience your love experience your joy, that you would lift them up, that you would give a sense of uh, peace and of joy like only you can. So Lord, we just give you our trials. We give you our thoughts. We give you all the concerns that we have. And we just say, Lord, we want to focus on you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand if you can, and uh, why don't we have the worship team come on up, and, and let's just uh, focus on the Lord. And again, let me just cl close by reading that verse again. Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts, and do this particularly now as we uh, worship. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Thank you, Jesus.